I don't, I don't, I don't care. I just want to play football. But it's just that all that all that is to me now is more cameras walking around staring at me. I don't care. I just want to play football. Yeah, I want to win a Super Bowl. Jamal Williams using our kind of language to explain his attitude toward hard knocks, which eventually will be invading Lions training camp. He's one of the ones who stands to benefit from it because he's got a very engaging and funny personality. So lean into it, Jamal. Don't be like James Harrison a decade ago when any time a camera showed up, he would flash the New Jersey State bird and <laughs> yes. move along. Right. That was great. I, I mean, but that's, really. that's true reality. That's true reality. When you have people who want nothing to do with the camera, sure. then you have a reality show. Well, yeah, what would you be? You know, it, that's one like, I know I'd be nice and pleasant, but that, that would be one where during training camp, you know, you're tired, you're working hard, you're trying to stay focused, and you got to deal with extra people in the – meeting room maybe in the quarterback's room it's already a small room because it's training camp and oh man and they want to talk to you and you're like man just shut up I'm tired I've played like I I, uh, that I could see that wearing on you would it wear on you or would you welcome it I would get tired of it very quickly and or get used to it very quickly and it just becomes part of the background I think that's the reality at some point you forget that they're there because you're focused on your job and if they're right in your face, it's one thing. If they're just hanging around, like you see the shots where it's obvious it's a camera up in the ceiling right, or right. hanging on a wall where it's not it's not always there. And there's always been this debate, how useful is it? And look, it's not going to end because I think in today's NFL, it's got much less usefulness than ever. There's so much coverage. There's so much information. The teams create their own sort of kind of hard knock series there's access there's video there's podcast there's everything you don't need that i'm surprised they still do it i remember last year there was going to be a hard knocks announcement that that was teased and i thought oh my god they're they're finally getting rid of this thing but that's when they started with the in-season hard knocks with the colts so that there, there there's there's always a market for it i still like it but I don't think it's as yeah. The problem is not like it used to be. It it becomes it becomes very cookie cutter. Yeah, right. It's the same stuff every year. The same storylines. The one thing I'm I'm very grateful for is that they've stopped. And I know a lot of people miss this. They've stopped filming the moment where guys get cut. Kid walks into coach's yeah. office to find out that his dream is either ending or being suspended. And please give me your playbook and otherwise pack your stuff and leave. They, they don't do that anymore. And it's good they didn't do that, that they stopped doing that. Bruce Arians would refuse to be on Hard Knocks for that very reason. Didn't want to have those moments captured on camera. At one point, Roger Goodell, commissioner of the league, obviously, man whose name is on the football, said we need to find a way to make the process of ending the relationship with a player more humane. Well, my reaction was one way to do it. Quit putting it on camera and adding it to hard knocks. So they've gotten away from that. But but still, it's, you know, personalities develop, storylines emerge. You root for some guy who's on the fringe of the roster to make it, even though it's going to take away somebody else's job when it's all said and done. But, yeah, and it'll be interesting with the Lions this year. they got a good team this year, especially if they get Baker Mayfield. But they got a good team this year to watch because Dan Campbell's a personality. Definitely. They've got some young players that will make things interesting. And, um, 
it, it, it'll be here before you know it. Yeah. And no. Jamal Williams, whether you like it or not, get ready. It's coming. Yeah. No, I, I, I like it. I mean, HBO does a great job of it. And, you know, you, you can learn little things about a team, too. Again, it, it, it is a little bit of almost like a nostalgia thing. It's just that time of the year. Wait, it's hard knocks. That should be on. So I'm used to it. it it's, it's, it's football season when hard knocks is on. I do like that. And, hey, even I didn't see every series with, like, the Colts one during the season, but I saw – a good amount of it. I want to say I saw all of it, but I'm not exactly sure. Hey, you could even look into that in some moments with Wentz talking to Frank Reich on the sidelines and things like that to go, oh man, yeah, they they didn't have that much confidence in him at times. And there was a little issue here. You, you, you could see that. And that's what I do like about the show is you can glean into some of the, the issues with the team a little bit. J.J. Watt said a decade ago, on our old afternoon show on our old network, Pro Football Talk on NBCSN, that he picked up the Dolphins' snap count for the week one game between the Texans on and hard Miami knocks. by watching Hard Knocks. That's right. So right. there are some things yeah. there are some things that, that do trickle through, but it's it's not a football decision, it's a business decision. That's right. And there's been a misguided belief. Now watch, it'll work for the Lions. But I think with like the Bengals, the Dolphins, some of these teams think that if you do hard knocks, you become a national team. That's how you build a brand. That's how you know, no, you only do that by winning and winning consistently. Being on hard knocks does nothing to elevate the brand popularity, the awareness, the fan base of a team beyond its locality. You either already had a national fan base or you didn't. You're not going to acquire one or lose one from hard knocks. No, I would agree with that. You're right. What it does do is it serves at least to, if it does, the team gets good. And, oh, wait, that guy, that guy from hard knocks, it gets you to know a few players, which, which I do think is great for, for the NFL. Not everybody gets known. It's usually the high-end roster guys. You get to see a little bit of the personality and the culture of the football team, which I do think is cool. But you're right. At the end of the day, you know, hey, a little notoriety, sure, okay, but it's not a game changer. You got to win on the field and, and build something there. One guy we got to know yeah. a decade ago with the Dolphins, remember Chris Hogan? No doubt, barely on the roster, seven eleven, seven eleven, open, and right. Yeah, a few years later, he turns into a player for the Patriots. Right, and it's I mean like that name. You're always that that name is kind of like, yeah, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan. I remember him from Hard Knocks. Right, that doesn't happen every year, but that's one example of a guy that kind of sticks out on the show and sticks around and and you have that association because you remember seeing him for the first time on that show definitely and I went, went to my high school grew up in my area I was always you know kind of cheated uh or a little bit un not respected for his physical ability even in high school and and that one showed it more than anything remember I mean, remember the I can't remember who the wide receiver coach was at the time down there in Miami but he was so sick of hearing about Chris Hogan and, oh, man, I got to play him. He's, in, he's doing good. Like, he didn't want to because he wasn't a high-end guy and he kind of worked his way up the roster and he didn't want to hear about it because it was probably not a guy that he handpicked or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a great story. And you're right. It put him on the map. And then when he got in New England, we we're like, oh, hey, we know this guy. He's good. And, he you know, it seems kind of cool, too, from Hard Knocks. The Bengals have done a couple of tours on Hard Knocks, and it never helped them build a national fan base. What helped them do it? Having Joe Burrow, mm -hmm. having Jamar Chase, getting to the Super Bowl, and almost winning it. And now it's funny, Chris, because we're less than 13 hours away from the schedule release. 
the Bengals schedule has more relevance than it has had in ever since the schedule release became a thing. I remember back in the mid nineties, it would just be, there was an afternoon in April where NFL.com would release the schedule. It's like, Hey, Hey, the schedule's out. Whoa, look at this the schedule's out. Ever since the schedule release became a thing, the Bengals have not been a thing that anyone cares about on the schedule this year. That's going to be one of the first teams I look at. How about you? Yeah, up there for sure. I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow is a team that we're not used to seeing in prime time, and it'd be kind of cool to be like, wait, how does the NFL view the Bengals? Where, how many games are we talking about here? But either way, I think it's like a can't-miss proposition for the NFL just because they're, they are an exciting team, and I think the way they're built, like even if they aren't playing their best and, and maybe losing a little more than we expect – I still think they're going to be an exciting team to watch because they're going to throw the ball and it's going to be an air show and they got a lot of explosive players. So they are exciting. There's no doubt that they're one of the teams I'll be checking out too, Mike. And they've done some things to make the offensive line better so Joe Burrow have a little more time to throw. One reason to believe that the Bengals are very relevant now, when a guy like defensive tackle DJ Reader speaks, we find a way to milk that cow into three different posts at PFT. One of the posts that we wrote comes from... His reaction to the fact that when you look at the odds, and we'll talk about them in a minute, the Bengals are not favored to win the division. The co-favorites are the Ravens and the Browns. Here is DJ Reader on his thoughts regarding the fact that his team, the defending AFC champions and defending AFC North champions, aren't favored to repeat. Watched a couple UFC fights this weekend. Vegas gets it wrong sometimes, too. You know, they win most of the time. They're a house, but they get it wrong a lot of times, too. So, you know, it's it just not who cares. Uh, and then it seems like it goes through us right now. So until somebody comes and takes it from us, I'm going to be confident in us. Until somebody comes and takes it from us, I'm going to be confident in us. And that really is the right attitude to have. They are the kings of the hill. They need to be knocked off. And I am surprised by this. Ravens plus 200, Browns plus 200. Obviously, that's two to one odds. Got to bet 100 to make 200. Bengals plus 210. Now, it's not a huge difference, but they're in third position. The defending AFC champions are in third position. And what surprises me more than anything else, you want to make a little money? You want to, you want to, you want to find a good value as you're spreading your gambling investment dollars around? Steelers at eight to one. Of all those four, I'll take that one, Chris. Oh, I know you do. I, know, I mean, hey, you're pasta and meatballs guts. I know it's just trying to say, you know, Steelers back against the wall. This is the year, which the history shows. This is the kind of the year they surprise people and are maybe more competitive than we think. There's no doubt. I mean, the, the division is extremely talented. I mean, really. The, the Ravens, it's one of the best rosters in football. The Browns, all we talked about last year was just such a disappointment. They're not in the playoffs because why? It's one of the best rosters in football. And then the Steelers, you look at them and go, well, damn, there's still a lot of good players, and there's the Steelers, and there's tough, and there's a, a battle-tested culture there. But, like, I don't understand the disrespect of the Bengals, really. I, I don't. Uh, to me, last year was not like a flash, uh, flash in the pan and like, oh, now they're going to drop down a little bit. I, I, I look at it more like Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game losing the New England Patriots. That's how I look at the year for the Bengals. I think that was a jump-off point now to go, well, first off, there's nothing on the roster to question. You already, you already answered the one question, the offensive line. They did a lot of stuff there to help that group out there. They're going to be better. 
The D-line was good. Linebackers were good. I mean, you go through position for position, and you go, man, the, the Bengals, there's no weak spots there. And then I think you add in the Joe Cool, Joe Burrow, healthy for a full year, has that kind of the year, takes his team to the Super Bowl. I, I think that's this is one where it's like, no, we got our confidence now. And we, we are the Bengals, and we do believe in ourselves. And, you know, sh- shut up with all that crap and, and, and disrespecting us. Uh, I, I think it's, like I said, a jump-off point. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be one of the best in the AFC. There's so many questions about the Ravens. There's yeah. definitely questions about the Browns. They And I assume I mean, points bet still doesn't have an over-under win total for the Browns because we don't know right, what's happening. Right. With Deshaun Watson, how can you be the favorites? I wouldn't touch that one. I, no way. Two, two to one, and we have no idea that Who they're the going to have Deshaun Watson <laughs> right. for the first game, the second game, or the 17th game. No thank you. And all the Baker Mayfield distraction that we've been talking about, no thank you. I'm not betting on the Browns to win that division. I like the Steelers and the Bengals as the options coming out of there. The Steelers, just because 8-1 to one is very enticing, but the Bengals should not be in third position. They should be the favorites because they had the fewest questions and they did the most to address them, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Let alone it was a young team that's like was just getting used to winning and being that team last year. So I, I, I really I think it's only going to be a confidence thing, a confidence thing to go, damn, we are a Super Bowl team, and a little bit of pissed offness to go, damn, we shouldn't have lost the Super Bowl. We had every right to win it. But, you know, I'm with you. Cleveland would scare me. Pittsburgh, I got respect. Baltimore and, and Cincinnati, the teams I look at, you know, even with maybe lack of wide receivers, that Baltimore team's still really good. And Ronnie Stanley's going to be back, and their offensive line's going to be healthy. And let's not forget Jawan James. They signed him last year. Remember when he was hurt, you know, at a smart deal. He'll come back and have a chance to play right tackle. So I look at the Ravens and the Bengals as being the, the two in the leader house, as the smart people in the world say. Uh, I, I think they're going to be in the thick of things when it's all said and done. And at this time of the year, I'm reminded of the fact that we fill the void by talking about things we think will happen in the upcoming season. The one thing we know will happen is there will be injuries. They will change the landscape of division races, of conference races. We just don't know who they'll happen to or how the backups will perform or the replacements if you go out and find somebody. But injuries, especially the talent packs together, and it really is, in the AFC especially, packed together. So it does come down to who has all their best players and who doesn't. And and other factors when things are packed together, sure. like who gets the benefit of the bad calls. There will be bad calls. Right. They hurt one team, they help another. Bounce of the ball hurts one team, sure. helps another. Schedule Little things like that will yeah. be what makes the difference. Hey, And uh, tonight we're going to find out. Yeah. Do you get some easy games out of the gates so you can build some confidence? Or do you get your ass kicked all over the place in September to the point where you're picking up the pieces and you feel like you're constantly chasing and chasing and chasing just to try to get a seat at the table in the playoffs? That how your season starts those first few weeks, that becomes a scar you just can't get rid of. And you're always up against it the rest of the way. That's why tonight tonight is important. We know the who and the where of all 272 regular season games, and we know the when as to some of them. The rest of the games, the whole thing tonight, we find out, and that's one of the big factors. Who gets it easy, in the, especially those AFC contenders? Who gets it easy out of the gates and who doesn't? The problem is with so many great teams, I don't know anybody's going to get it easy out of the gates. I, I, don't, I don't think, if you're an AFC team, I don't think 
that 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 you're going to be able to to say to yourself, man, we got an easy September. I, it's going to be a grind all year long. I uh, agreed. I, it, it, it's really remarkable. I mean, it really is. When you look at the AFC, you just sit there and go, well, yeah, okay, the cupcake teams, right? Yeah, the Jets and the Jaguars. Well, damn, I don't know. The Jets and the Jaguars, they got a lot of young talent on the team. They'd be scary. I mean, so, yeah, they're not one of the better teams. We get that. But it's not like it's like you're going to walk on the field and just go, well, this is a cupcake victory. No problem, right? Yeah, the Tennessee Titans said that last year, and the Colts said that to the Jaguars. Let alone we know yeah. it's... Colts Colts took a bite out of a cupcake and blew <laughs> up in their mouth. <laughs> blew up in their face, seriously. But, you know, yes. And then the Houston Texans, maybe you could put in that category. But after that, I mean... You're talking one damn superstar quarterback and heavy artillery on the offensive side of the ball after another. And it, it, it really is. You're right. The AFC, there will be no such thing as an, an easy start when they're playing each other early in the year. I'm looking at the Bengals' schedule right now. At home, they've got their three division rivals, yeah. the Ravens, the Browns, and the Steelers. They've got the Bills. They've got the Chiefs. They've got the Dolphins. They have the Panthers and the Falcons. They, they There is a way you can construct an easier start for the Bengals. If they get Panthers or Falcons at home right out of the gates, you know, teams that we really yeah. don't know who their quarterback's going to be, and there's a sense that they're rebuilding. Although, I don't want to get the Panthers at full-strength Christian McCaffrey. They were 3-0 and to start the year last year. They go on the road, the Bengals do, to face the Ravens, Browns, Cowboys, Patriots, Saints. They do have a trip to the Jets. Steelers, Bucks, Titans. So... The, the, the ideal start for the Bengals would be Jets and Falcons and Panthers early, and you, 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 know, you start that, that push and you get some wins under your belt, and you don't get knocked wobbly early on by some of these other great teams. I mean, you got three or four at the most games that stand out as winnable easily, if that, if there is any easy win in the yeah, NFL. Yeah. Ask the Colts about Week 18 against the Jaguars. But as most of these AFC schedules, we're going to look at them. We're going to say, holy crap, it's murderer's row. We look at another team. Holy crap, it's murderer's row. Holy crap, it's murderer's row. And that's great for the NFL because, you know, you don't want parity to happen because they all suck. You want parity to, hap- to happen because there's a sense that they're all great. And that's what we have in the AFC. Yeah, we definitely do. I think a lot of, you know, some of those AFC teams are probably going to be, hey, maybe hopefully we'll get lucky and, yeah. If we're not, you know, playing one of those NFC NFC divisions early on, like you said, and maybe we get one of those lesser teams in them, because you know, again, the AFC North, uh, what what what's what's there to be scared of right now? The Green Bay Packers. So I mean, NFC North. So if you're playing the NFC North, you're going, oh damn, okay, there might be some chances there, you know. And the same with the NFC South. Again, I mean, there's two teams like you just mentioned that are certainly questionable. The Saints are a team that's you know got talent, but kind of in a transition period to a degree. So uh, yeah, there's certainly a like an un- imbalance of power between the NFC and the AFC. And, yeah, I, I mean, the NFC has some teams that I look at to go, wow, their teams are complete and they're dangerous, but there's an element maybe missing about them. Right? The 49ers, the quarterback conversation, you talk about them. But, you know, again, Tampa, Green Bay, San Fran, Rams – they're, they're, those are the teams you look at that go, well, they'll be able to compete with anybody from the AFC, that's for sure. 49ers fans don't like it when I point to the NFC and say it's the Bucks, the Rams, and the Packers who stand out. But until I know who your starting quarterback is going to be, 49er faithful, it's hard for me to pencil in 
the 49ers is one of the top teams in the NFC, especially if it's going to be Trey Lance, because we don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. Could be great. But right now, projecting into the season, the three teams in the NFC that stand out are the Rams, the Buccaneers, and the Packers. And you mentioned the Packers. Yeah. Matt LaFleur, who has three seasons as a head coach, 13 wins each of those three seasons, was on with Rich Eisen yesterday. Here is LaFleur talking about how his relationship with O. Aaron Rodgers has evolved. I think it's just like anything, you know, we, I think we know each other. I think there's a lot of trust and, and love and respect for one another. Not to say that we, we don't have our differences just like any, anybody else. Uh, that certainly happens at, from time to time, but I think just the level that we communicate, we, we're always able to, you know, uh, be on the same page. And, and like I said, there, there's such a mutual respect for one another. What would the uh, a difference be like? What and and obviously it's resolvable clearly. <laughs> but just walk me through what a, what a what a loggerhead moment with uh, with Rogers would look like or sound like. Well, it, it could be anything, right? It could be just in terms of how you know you're implementing a game plan, or um, you know there there might be a certain play that that I really want to run. But if if he doesn't feel comfortable with it, why would I put him in that? position so he generally wins the arguments yeah hey when you're Aaron Rodgers you win most arguments you've got you've got a lot of equity built up to win your arguments because you're still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL but Matt LaFleur deserves a ton of credit for being the guy who has to balance all the 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 plates he has to keep everybody happy he's the one who's in the middle of the storm caught between the front office and Aaron Rodgers. And I'm sure Aaron Rodgers has done plenty of venting to Matt LaFleur over the past three years about Brian Gutekunst and others in the front office. And LaFleur's the one who's who's got to keep the peace. He's got to have the right touch. You got to deal with Aaron Rodgers a certain way. You can't coach him hard. You can't coach him aggressively. You can't get in his face. There's a certain way to deal with him. And LaFleur, to his credit, from the moment he got the job, he knew how to deal with Aaron Rodgers, and he's gotten the most out of Aaron Rodgers far more often than not than, than I, I think than anyone, any candidate for that job, anybody they could have hired. I don't know that anybody could have done it any better than the floor has to manage what could have been a complete and total explosion at any point the last three years. Yeah, it, it's it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Uh, you know, maybe took over, you know, one of the most controversial Tough spots in the NFL with a quarterback that we know is, you know, can be a little bit of a pain in the butt and stuck in his ways there. So, I mean, from the get-go, his ability to manage people in a team was put to the test. I mean, so every year he's had something about his own personality put to the test to where he goes, gosh, I got to fix this. Oh, man. Oh, crap. You know, year one it was the audible thing. Then it was the Jordan Love thing. And then it was the next year, it was Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded. I might retire. Oh, I'm going to come back. And now this year, it's Devontae Adams and the Aaron Rodgers thing. You know, he's, he's been phenomenal. I don't know if anybody's had to deal with more off-field turmoil to start their coaching career than, than Matt LaFleur. And then within that, we just expect, oh, they'll be smooth and win the football games all the time. And that's where, you know, again, I felt like he was a little disrespected in the coach of the year conversation for the third year in a row because of that. I mean, the fact that he just hasn't won one yet, I think is a little shocking to me. And again, like we talked about yesterday, 
within this, and I wanted to get to this when you were just talking about the 49ers, they're not all that crazy talented there with the Rashawn Gary Aaron Rodgers poster to show, like, hey, these are our two stars. (laughs) So they're being coached well, and they have a quarterback that's amazing, and I don't know if LaFleur quite gets the respect he deserves. Just something as simple as the audible thing, which was, in my opinion, a complete and total concoction by Aaron Rodgers, a passive-aggressive slash aggressive-aggressive effort by Rodgers to push back against an offense that Matt LaFleur intended to use that dramatically limited the ability of Aaron Rodgers to make changes to the play at the line of scrimmage. Rodgers didn't like it. Instead of dealing directly with LaFleur, or maybe after doing so and it didn't work, yeah. that's when it went public. Remember, Mike Silver right. went there to do a profile, and it all blew up. Right. And Rodgers does it in a way where there's no smoking gun, there's no obvious dead body. and But, but there are coaches who would know exactly what he was doing. They would say, we're not taking this crap from the player. I coach the team. You work for me. This isn't how it's going to go. And you have a big problem, you have a big mess, and you undermine the relationship and you hurt the ability to play. Now, some would say, some would say, it's because they haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't been to a Super Bowl. So 13 wins, 13 wins, 13 wins, great. But they still haven't cashed in. Yeah, I hear you. Some would say, some would say that that was the moment LaFleur should have grabbed Aaron Rodgers by the collar and said, I know exactly what you're doing. It's not impressing me. It's not going to help us get to what we're trying to do, which is win the Super Bowl. This kind of crap that I got to deal with, I got to tiptoe around the delicate <laughs> genius. I got to worry about you setting up these passive-aggressive media narratives. That's all a distraction from what we're trying to do. We're trying to win. You sign on with what we're doing, I guarantee you we will win. I Look, something has been missing in that organization, and it may just be talent. It may just be that. That they get as far as they can go. Well, it was also the flat and and, and total, uh, complete and total failure of their special teams last year that caused them to sure. lose the 49ers <clears throat> right. at home in the divisional right. round. But but something something is missing in that organization. For as great as they are in the regular season, yeah. they aren't able to, to parlay that into postseason success. That That's a given. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is a little. And, and that's where I always get into that. Again, it's a good team. We know that. There, there is talent. I don't mean to disrespect that way. But I just talk about, yeah, compared to some of the other great teams in football, no, I think they, that, that like we had this discussion a lot during the season last year, right? They're, they were more about they're not overwhelming you with, oh, my gosh, they're so good, they're so fast, they're so big, they're so – they overwhelm you with – they just execute, right? We had those conversations a lot, and, and I always was asking you, like, Mike, right, Mike? I'd be like, man, I don't know. Can you win the Super Bowl by just, like, always being like, we're just going to out-execute you and we're not going to mess the game up? You know, that, that to me was always a big question, and I think that speaks to what you're talking about a little bit. The regular season, yeah, they execute. They're well-coached. Rodgers knows what to do. He's going to do all of that. But you get to the playoffs, of course we know. The coaching gets a little bit better. The team that you're playing is better. You know? They've dug a little deeper into their research and didn't sleep all week to win this one-and-go-home kind of game. And then that's where you go, damn, it'd be nice to have a Debo Samuel just to throw a screen who can make a play or a Jamar Chase slant and somebody do something. And to me, that's where they've missed in those big games. Bucks, 
championships games, the 49er championship games. You know, they, they were just steamrolled by teams that had the guys we're talking about, where you went, oh, these are freaks. They can just go out and make plays. The hell with the playbook and how the coach coached it. And to me, that's what they've missed compared to the other great teams. You know, now that the draft is over and the Penguins are in the playoffs, I'm rediscovering hockey. It's yeah. that bandwagon thing. I th- are we still allowed to talk about hockey? Sure, Ooh, anyway. yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but there's such a fundamentally different mindset in the postseason than there is in the regular season, even when it's best to seven. Yeah. You get a hot goalie or a cold goalie, right. and it all goes to pot for one team, and it all becomes great for another team that you didn't really think was going to compete. And I say that because in the NFL, it's also true, and I think it's more stark. There is a different mindset in the postseason. And if you're having a bad day, a rare bad day yeah. in the regular season, we got another game, seven, six, or four days away. We'll get back on the horse. Postseason, you get a bad day. You picked a bad time to have a bad day. No doubt. You're done. Right. Everything you did in the regular season, all the accomplishments, all the accolades, all this, all that, all your pro bowlers, all your the doesn't matter. You're out. The Tennessee dynamic, one seed, week off. Here we go. Bengals punch us in the mouth. Right. Oh gosh. We're kind of struggling today. Yeah. It's not really our day. Let's right. keep plugging. Let's keep plugging. Hey, we're still in it. Oh, one interception, two interceptions, three interceptions. Yeah. Our, our special season is over. We busted our asses for 18 weeks to get in position to get the one seed. And in three hours on a late Saturday afternoon in Nashville, it's done. That, that, the, and the Packers, and again, I don't know how deep they go in the offseason to try to get to the root causes, yeah. but I sure would be spending some of, that, some of that, that profit that goes not to some owner's super yacht I would be talking to the board of directors about doing some sort of a deep dive into how to improve the overall psychology, the mindset, the approach to the postseason, because something is consistently going wrong there because they can't match week for week, whatever it is they're getting from the other team. Maybe they, maybe they need, maybe they get so set in a routine that works. They, they don't change it the way they need to to rise up and win those postseason games. But that whole special team, that special teams thing was so glaring. Yeah. You're driving around and you're, you're, you're at a, an F1 race with a flat tire. Right. That, that it was, it was inexcusable, inexcusable that that happened. But every year it's some other narrative, some other thing, some other set of events keeps the Packers from getting back to the Super Bowl. And at a certain point, it's not just, well, stuff happens because every year something is the, the stuff that happens to the Packers. Yeah, no, I, and I know. That's where, you know, again, every year it, it's, yes, yeah, stuff happens to the Packers. Rodgers gets blamed, which, sure, I know he's the quarterback. He could have played better in that divisional game. There's no doubt about it. You know, he, he, he certainly was a little too conservative for my liking there. But that's all it goes back to a lot of the times is just the coach and the quarterback. And it's just like, okay, yeah, that, all right, I get it. We can do that. But – I just get back to, you know, the base old primitive like football talk kind of thing. And I just kind of go, well, yeah, but I mean, if you put the Packers in the back alley against the 49ers or the Bucks or any of those, they're not going to win that fight. They're just more killers on the other teams, lack for a better phrase. I'm sorry. Just more guys like that to me that have an attitude of, wait, it's a big game. I'm ready to smash my face and play to the wall. And I feel like you see that with teams like the Rams. It shows through the screen. The 49ers, it throws through the screen. Same with the Bucks as well. 
And I think you saw that even a little with, you know, some of the – we've seen that with the Chiefs, that they can go to that level and be crazy like that. And, and of course, we saw it with the Bengals. And to me, that's there's an intensity element that misses or something, Mike. I'm just trying to put my kind of head on it too as far as from Green Bay. That's not the same as some of those teams we're talking about. And I know you see it a little because we've talked about it before. You said something that caught my ear early on. Yeah. And I want to I want to just – slide from Green Bay to Minnesota. Yeah. And then I'll slide back. One of the problems between former Vikings coach Mike Zimmer and quarterback Kirk Cousins was Cousins was too conservative too often. Right. Didn't let it fly. Right. Didn't let it rip. Case in point, that Sunday night game against the Cowboys when Dak Prescott was, was out. Hurt. Right. And Rush Cooper or Cooper Rush, one of the backups in the NFL that have interchangeable last names and first names, <laughs> played. One of the things I know that had Zimmer apoplectic about Cousins is in that game, Cousins chose to play it conservative right. because he's thinking they don't have Dak Prescott. If I don't F it up, we win this game. And obviously they didn't. But I thought of that when you said that Rodgers was too conservative in that game against the 49ers because he may be thinking the same thing. He may be outsmarting himself in those games. Hey, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Holy crap. I mean, come on. Come on. It's Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. I know. All I have to do is not F this up. Right. And we're advancing. Right. So why why do I need to go out there and try to thread needles, make throws, have three interceptions like Tom Brady did in the NFC Championship game 2020, which the Buccaneers still won. Yeah. But why do I want to do all that? You talk about that all the time with Rodgers, the politics of football. I don't want to yes. be throwing interceptions. Why well, right. don't need to in this game? Right. Because we should be able to kick the crap out of the 49ers because I'm here and Jimmy G is here. Again, you got to – they got to break that mindset. They got to break it, Mike. When January right. rolls around. You're right. It's got to be my legacy's on the line. I agree. I'm a gunslinger. I'm going to go out there and sling the gun. Right. Do you think Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes would go into the game like that, or even Brady for that matter? I mean, sorry. I mean, yeah. Do you think they'd go into a? Well, I'm just going to be real because they're going to go. Wait, that guy's open. I'm going to freaking kill him and throw a laser down the middle right here. I don't care. I'm freaking Tom Brady or Mahomes or Allen. You've done this, you've shown a crack in the armor, and now we're going to take advantage of it. And yes, there's some of that element. And see, that's where I get back into that, it's the execution, and be careful, and let's not mess up the game, and that's cool. That's cool, but it's hard to win that way in the NFL. That's what made New England great. New England had a way of going, wait, we're ultra-aggressive, but yet we take care of the ball and don't do stupid stuff. And that's why they won the Super Bowl every year. Because they were one of the few teams that ever in the history of the sport that could kind of do both. Where you're like, wow, they can execute and be aggressive. This is crazy, right? But that you know, there there has to be that part of you know that that part of uh, your your inner nature or ability to strike in those moments. And yeah, I think that that times would to be a little tough on Rodgers that he's a little conservative in those moments. I, and I think it's as simple as this. Because we rarely see the Packers in this position, the position they were in in 2010, when they had to go on the road. Yeah. They're the sixth seed. They go to Philadelphia, barely beat Mike Vick and the Eagles, right. but they advance. They go to Atlanta and kick the ever-living crap out of the Falcons and on a Saturday on night, 48-22. Right. 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 Because you know what? There's no pressure. Exactly. There's no expectation. Right. Could it be as simple? And this is one of the things I love about football, because even with all the skills and abilities of the players, at the end of the day – there's still a human heart beating inside, 
There's still a human brain inside of the skull. And guys in that sport are as susceptible as the rest of us to something as simple as, holy crap, I've got a lot riding on this. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, oh, I hope whoa, I don't mess it up. Uh, whoa, yeah. man, I don't want to be the one to screw this right. up. And and the difference between we got nothing to lose 2010 we we go on the road three straight games, go to the Super Bowl and beat the Steelers because nobody expected us to be here versus everybody expects us to be here. Everybody expects us to win a Super Bowl with each passing year. Man, I don't got many more chances left to win a Super Bowl. There's more pressure on me this year. Oh, the table's set this year. Let's not screw it up. Well, we screwed it up last year. The table's set this year. Let's not screw it up. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I think there's something to it, that's, Mike. That's right. th- that's what they need to that's the wall that the Packers need to be breaking down. And the fact that they haven't done it, I don't know they've even tried to do it. I don't even know if they I don't even know that they're capable of admitting that the wall's there. You're welcome in advance, Green Bay Packers, if you take anything beneficial from this conversation Chris and I are having, but they there is a mental wall in the organization, starting with their quarterback. It keeps them, especially after they've had a great season, they're a one seed. It keeps them from being the killers in January that they were the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I think there is something to that. I am. It's certainly not up to the level of the teams that we've seen go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl the last few years. There's an element that is missing there, whether it's the first 49ers NFC Championship game, of course, the Bucks game, like you're talking about. I mean, it explains it. The Bucks were having a meltdown in the second half and still won because they had guys that were just like, so what? We're going we're gonna to hit you hard, and we're going to make a play. You're going to fumble. You know, Brady's going to throw a bomb before the end of the half. Screw, screw, we're going to be tactical and get four more yards to make the field goal a little quicker. We're going to be kill you right here. We're throwing the bomb for the touchdown with eight seconds left in the half. That, to me, is what Green Bay misses. It is. I don't mean to be mean or disrespectful. I got great respect for them in so many ways. But compared to the other top teams in football, that's the element that I, th- I do think they miss there. And if you're a Packers fan who is watching or listening, first of all, thank you very much. Second of all, there's two ways you could react to what we're saying. One, one is to cross your arms and get pissed off because they're not showing the team respect. How dare they? They hate the Packers. Or, or you could be saying, man, these guys may have a point. I, I would have been nice to have been to a Super Bowl at some point since 2010. Even nicer to win one. Maybe they are right. Maybe there is something going on here. Maybe we shouldn't be so thrilled with going 13 and four and be a little more demanding about what happens after 13 and four becomes zero and zero in the postseason. Because that's the point we're trying to make. We're trying to help. We're trying to help here. Maybe I shouldn't be saying these things if I hate the Packers as much as <laughs> some of the folks out there think. Keep doing what you're doing. It's working, Packers. Keep doing what you're doing because we love nothing more than to watch Aaron Rodgers walk off the field pissed off after he loses in January. So just keep doing what you're doing. See, that would be an example of something that if people just clip that. Yeah, they would. They'd be taking my words out of context. That is a prime example for everybody out there who wonders why I get pissed off when somebody says something, they mean what they said, and it's one sentence in a longer paragraph. They say, you took my words out of context. No, we just isolated your quote taking your words out of context it would be doing exactly what i did there when i was joking about the attitude that i would have if i hated the packers as much as some packers fans think um let's do this real quickly yeah because i I don't want to ignore what john elway said about russell wilson because john elway's the guy who drafted brock osweiler when russell wilson was still on the board 10 years ago that doesn't get brought up in denver very much for some reason 
Uh, John Elway said of Russell Wilson, this is via Mike Kliss of Nine News in Denver, he was the piece we needed. We had a good football team around him, and I think George Payton, GM of the team, did a tremendous job of putting that deal together and getting him here. It's great to see the fan base energized again. We've got a chance to compete in the AFC West, but obviously it's going to be tough. But again, like anything, we've got to stay healthy. We've had a tough time doing that the last several years. If we can stay healthy, Russ has been there. He's won Super Bowls. Well, he's won one. He knows what it takes, and the leadership he's provided has been tremendous. This gets back to what I talked to George Payton, the GM of the Broncos, about last week what it means to have a quarterback with a track record of winning. Wins aren't a quarterback stat. Unless, of course, the quarterback is so great, has the leadership qualities that just ooze out of his being where he walks through the door and everyone gets better. Everyone locks in. We talked about that last week. No From doubt. Peyton Manning in 2015 to Russell Wilson now. Yeah. If have you have a team that has talent, it gives a benefit for sure. To your, it, it, you're right. Because it pulls it all together. It does. Exactly pull, right. And, and they all elevate. And they know they, they, we don't just have to answer the coach if we screw up. we got to answer the quarterback. Right. And he's not going to be happy with him. And I don't want Russ to not be happy with me because I respect him. I respect everything about him. I want him to like me. I, I, want, him, I want him to be nice to me. I want him to, to – that's Again, basic human emotion, yeah, the people right. you respond to in a positive right. way and the people you don't respond to in a positive right. way. Yeah, exactly. I want him and Sierra to invite me over on Christmas Eve for a drink or whatever. They <laughs> I mean, got a pretty nice house. <laughs> exactly. It's it a pretty cool. nice house. Right. I, I, yeah. I think it all all of it plays into it. But, yes, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. That's what the great quarterback does. And, and yes, I think, too, the team has to have talent to bring that all together, like you're saying. It's not always going to work that way if it's some crap team and, hey, yeah, great quarterback works. There's only so much he can overcome there. But this is a team that's on the precipice of you know turning the corner. We all see talent across the board there on this team. And this was the, the finishing touch, I think, to where we go, oh, okay. Now they got a guy here and it's going to bring it all together, make the players believe they're going to get all they can out of these talented receivers where they've been dropping the ball and not getting the most out of them the last few years. So yeah, Denver's definitely one of those teams. You got circled two or three times. Like, like you talked about, I- I'm excited to kind of see their schedule tonight because they're a team that you look at, just go, what are they going to be this year? How good can they be? You know, there's a lot of potential. It just now they got to go out and kind of do it and prove it. The one thing we know is Christmas in that 4.30 p.m. Eastern slot, we will see the Broncos at the Rams. But one big game for the Broncos this year at Seattle. Russell Wilson back in town his first year away in a different conference. It falls out it's that one time in roughly eight years that you go back, and it's this year. So that works out perfectly, too. But we'll find out when that game is. There's a lot of games that are going to attract attention. And let me just say it again, NFL, if you're listening, and we know you are, next year, break it up into four days. Don't, Don't just give us one game a day. Four weeks, week one. Four weeks, week two. Four weeks, week, or no, four weeks Monday. Four weeks Tuesday. Four weeks Wednesday. Six weeks Thursday. Do it that way because it's it's going to be overload tonight. We're already mapping out the different stories oh, we're going to hit at PFT and the different angles. It's no, just, it all just falls out of the sky and lands and goes everywhere tonight at eight o'clock Eastern. No doubt, schedule release time right there, Mike. Boom, there's the clock right there. Uh, listen, there's oh, we have a countdown oh, clock. Countdown but wait, clock. we need a countdown clock. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we need a countdown clock for next year's schedule release. <laughs> but the the <laughs> I, I I I uh like you're right. It is overload. 
uh, there's a part of me that's very happy I'm not doing the show with you tomorrow because I know I'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't know what game to talk about or what team, or it's just going to be all over the place. But I, I'm with you. The four-day release or something of like, hey, Monday they release all the Monday night games. Tuesday they release all the Sunday night games. You, know, you do that too. Yeah, right. Something along those yep. lines. But yes, I don't want the overload factor tonight. I'm, uh, I, I would like a little more teases here throughout the week. And, and to the extent that the goal of the NFL is to just take over the sports landscape, you take over the whole week. Now, they've infringed on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with the one game, but or two games, as the case may be for Monday, because it's the ESPN ABC Week 2 doubleheader. But you give a little more meat. You, you create a little more discussion. You create a little more uh, of that ability to steal the spotlight from the sports that are actually playing. It's got to drive baseball, basketball, and hockey crazy. All we're finding out is the when. We know the who. We know the where. We're just finding out the when. But that part of it is fascinating for reasons we discuss all the time. Who do you get early? Who do you get late? How many of your weeks are disrupted by a short week, by traveling all the way across the country, late night here, over here? This guy, well, we already know the, the people who have to travel to London and Germany, but, you know, just all the little things that will make up the, the week in and week out challenges that add to the adversity or make it easier for the teams that are trying to get themselves, you know, in a position to win games. Yeah. As a player, you're, you're, yeah, where, where are we starting the season? What's that early season stretch look like, right? I mean, who is it we're playing? Next thing you're looking at, primetime games. Okay, wait, what games are we, what weeks are we going to have short weeks? A Monday night, you know, oh, Monday night, short week. Okay, that. And then you're going to look at like little blocks of, oh man, there, here's a three game stretch. We're on the road here. Oh, okay. Whoa, that's going to be, that's what you're looking at as a player, a coach. Just, you know, again, you want to see it all. Yes, but you're going to look at those little moments right there and more or not to kind of get your human emotions ready for what you're talking about and kind of start that mental process of what the season's going to be like. Let's take a break. When we return, I spoke yesterday afternoon with Eagles GM Howie Roseman. Among other things, I, I got him talking about the Terrell Owens debacle of 2005, and he had a pretty good story, pretty good postscript to the 2005 season that was wrecked by the contract impasse with T.O. You'll hear that next year on PFT Live. Thank <laughs> you.